Much appreciated. If you didn't already get in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 56, go ahead and turn there. I want to let you know up front that this is not an expository sermon. This is not going through that whole passage. This is just picking one part of it and tracking a theme throughout all of Scripture, although I'm sure some of you are curious about why the eunuchs are in there. Um, we are in this... I forgot the remote. Luke handed to me. And then, football it. Let's go. So we're in the middle... Ready to fire, too, right? We're in the middle of this series called Prayerology. Yes, I made up that word. It's not a real word, uh, but it's the study of prayer. And last Monday kicked off a 21-day season of prayer and fasting for our whole church family. For those of you uh, who weren't here last week because of the ice, I hope you got to tune in online, and hopefully it was encouraging to you and challenging to you in that regard. But uh, those who were here, uh, there were many who uh, said that they were going to commit to doing something unique in these next 21 days with their life, to disrupt their normal habits of particularly maybe it's food consumption or something else they were refraining from that is good. They're not, we're not to fast from evil. We're to just put away evil already, right? That you don't fast from your addiction to your smartphone. You, you kill it already, right? So you, you fast from something good. And many of you committed to doing that. And, and, and you, you made it work however you could in your circumstances. And, and, and so are y'all noticing anything? Like, have y'all this past week, like, noticed anything? Anything new? Like, like anything happening in your relationship with Jesus? Like, with his word? Like, with your prayer life? Have you noticed anything? You're like, th- some things are different. Some things have changed. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're noticing stuff, right? Yeah. Like, it's going on. I keep asking people, hey, how's this season for you? I'm not asking if they're fasting or what they're fasting from. I'm just hoping that people have come in. And I've asked, what, what are some things that you guys are experiencing in all of this? And, 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 and I mean, some of this is mine, some of this is from others, but, but like the, people are like, I never thought to pray about that, and now I'm praying about that. Or, or uh, fresh wantings for longer prayer times. Like some people journal their prayers, and they're usually like half a page to a page, and like this one was five pages long. Like what on earth? Where is this coming from? Um, some people are telling me about spontaneous, precious moments of just enjoying God in worship throughout the week. Some people are telling me about how the Holy Spirit is illuminating their minds to the meanings of scriptures that they've known for a really long time but didn't quite understand. I've been hearing testimonies of people having new creative ideas on how to serve people or a new vision for things, and the list just keeps going. In fact, I will tell you that one of our sisters in our church, she said, Pastor Scott, this prayer and fasting thing is like a whole new dimension. It's like, what? (laughs) Like a new reality. Whoa. Yeah. And guess what? All of these fresh, new, unique workings among our church family are not a unique experience to us. This is just what everybody from the past has testified about. Charles Spurgeon said this, Our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer to the central glory. Guys, as I get to pastor people, right? Like just in the last week, new thoughts of how to apply God's ancient words to circumstances and caring and counseling people. Like, it seems like there's just some things that I'm more available for that God wants to do through me. And I, as I'm dedicating myself to just seeking Him and hungering for Him. But you know, that's not a surprise either. There's this truth that I learned a little long ago, a long little ago, a little while ago, that's the right way, a little while ago, that I keep having to relearn again and again and again. And it's like these seasons of prayer and fasting seem to just keep taking me back to this simple truth that we cannot live life for God without living life with God. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. We cannot live life for God without living life with God. You can see the connection there, right? Like, fervent, disciplined obedience dies really quickly without the perpetual enjoying of God. Guys, I see so many Christians, and I see it in my own life in many ways. They grow weary of radical obedience to Jesus, 
because they have such a trivial, routine, and drab relationship with him. Guys, we've got to ask ourselves a really important question, and and you can throw it back at me. What is the greatest gift of all the things that Christ purchased for us with his blood on the cross, of all the things that he won for us in his name, that God gives to us, what is the highest, what is the most supreme, like this is the top of the list of all that he's given to us, this is the best thing that we get in the gospel, what is it? Is it like Christ's character? No, but that's nice, I want that, my wife would be better off if I had that. Is it an obedient lifestyle? No, but that comes with love for God, right? No, the greatest gift is God himself. I heard some of you say Holy Spirit. Right on. It is the, the, the presence of God among us. Obviously, we would say Jesus is the greatest gift, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God. So good luck explaining that in the Trinity, right? Like, like It's God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit given to us that we might access him through the blood of Jesus. It's in Jesus, and and now for us, it's in the Holy Spirit that our transcendent, almighty, incomprehensible God has made himself available for withness. For withness. Now, some of you guys are thinking, this, this dude just keeps making up all these words. Perology, now... Now, witness, I didn't make this one up. This one's actually in Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It's defined as this. The state or fact of being close to or connected with someone or something. Close association or proximity. It's witness. It's getting to be near God. It's that very thing that Joshua kept experiencing and wouldn't leave the tent. He kept staying close to it because he had witness with God because God was there. It's what David longed for, right? It's it's what David cried out in Psalm 27. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. The greatest delight of David's heart was God himself, not this thing called eternal life. If you view eternal life as something that's separate from God and you just get to live forever, You have totally missed what Zoe, eternal life, really means. It's we get God for eternity. David is crying out here because he wants to be in the house of the Lord. And guess what? It's not because HGTV just featured God's house as the new Joanna and Chip Gaines reno. It's because God is there. It's because he wants to be near God. He wants to be close to God. He gets witness with God in his house. It's the very thing that God promised to those who would seek Him. The very thing that we've sung about and we've prayed about today. And we've been seeking all week and hungering for God. It's what God gives to those who draw near to them, who seek Him with their whole hearts. He gives Himself. He gives them enjoyment of Him. So the question that we need to ask then is what does it look like to draw near to God? We know as Christians it's through Christ. But what is our part of drawing near to God? What can we do for our seeking this nearness with God, this this withness? What do we do? Well, this morning I I, I am uh, believing that God wants to show us that, that it's prayer. That prayer is seeking and finding witness with God. It's prayer. It's not making a trip over to some temple somewhere. It's, it's not going up on the top of the mountain and making a sacrifice. It's prayer. So by now, you should be in Isaiah 56. Um, if you're not there, go ahead and get back there. And we're going to simply just look at Look at one verse, actually even just one title of something, and we're going to track its theme throughout the Old Covenant and the New Covenant.
But let me, I, 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 always, I always want to make sure we understand context wherever we are in God's Word. So Isaiah 56, this is the part where Isaiah, God is inspiring the Word through Isaiah, speaking about this coming kingdom of God that's coming after Israel's exile and return back to Jerusalem. So in verses 1 and 2, we read about the basic blessing that comes from obedience to God. And in verses 3 through 6, we read about this promise that's made to anyone who would come to devote their lives to loving God and obeying His covenant. No matter what tribe, language, people, or nation they are from, verses 3 through 6, no matter what vows they took in the prior life, whether they're eunuch or whatever, whoever comes they won't be lost to God. They won't be cut off. They'll have Him. They'll have God. But we're going to focus in on verse 7. These I will bring. Those those foreigners who have agreed to devote themselves to God and, and loving Him and obeying His command. These I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a what? House of prayer for all peoples. By the way, just for context, you and I are the foreigners. We're not we're not the ones who this is written about to. This is the one we're written about. The foreigners. That's us. Unless you're an ethnic Jew from the lineage of Abraham. And guys, there's so much to talk through here. If you have questions about the text, I'd love to explain it later. But, but the main emphasis, the main thrust of this passage is on, on the mystery of God that's revealed in Christ that all peoples can come into his house. And I want to focus in on how God describes his house. This house that all nations, any background, the house that they're all brought into through keeping God's covenant is called what? A house of prayer. It's an IHOP. It's an international house of prayer. He says it twice in the text. He says it in verse 7, twice. Now, you probably, uh, as, as, as scripturally rich as our church is, you probably hear the little bell because we've been in John for five years now. Um, a year, actually, it's, it is a year. Um, over two, anyways. <laughs> it's a long time. You should be connecting it to something Jesus says in the New Testament, right? This is the passage that Jesus quotes when he goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables, right? You remember what happened there? How uh, he goes into the temple of God only to find a bunch of money changers and uh, religious leaders selling temple-approved sacrifices. And in doing so, they are effacing the experience of atoning for sin. They're diminishing the intensity of it while accommodating consumeristic mindsets. And what does Jesus do? He, he, he takes up a whip and he starts Indiana Jonesing all of these religious leaders and traders and salesmen. They get out of the temple, right? He flips over the tables. He sets all the animals free. And if you listen close enough, you can hear all the glad shouts of PETA in the background. All the animals are free. And he says to them, he says in all of this, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer, prayer for all nations. A house of prayer. One house for all the nations. And in this one comment, Jesus takes an Old Testament truth and affirms that it's going to be part of the new covenant established between God and man. And the truth is this, that whatever God dwells in, 
is to be a house of prayer. Wherever God in his infinite sovereign wisdom decides to reside, that place becomes a house of prayer. Whether it was in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting out in the wilderness, or whether it was in the temple that was built and then rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem, or in Jesus, God's presence there was to make that place his house of prayer. Now, you've got to, at this point, I want us to remember that there were two main things that these temple, or the temple or the tabernacle were for. Two main things, and they're two A words. You've got to remember that the temple was for atonement for sin, because that's where sacrifices were made, and it's for access to God. Once atonement had been made, at the temple, you get access to God's presence. Atonement and access. What are the two things the temple's for? Good. Because that's where God's presence resided. It filled the temple's holy of holies. And God said that that house where he dwells is a house of prayer. It's characterized by prayer. It's not a house of sacrifice. Those sacrifices would be made there, but that's not its primary identity. It's not a house of guilt and shame. It's not a house of good works and measuring up. It's not a house of singing. It's not a house of boredom or a house of comfort. It's a house of prayer. You remember prayer, right? The thing you do when you realize a cop's right behind you and you check your speedometer to see if you were going too fast. Oh, Lord. That thing that you're doing when you pull into the grocery lot and there's just way too many cars in the lot and you ask for a parking spot? Remember prayer? God says his house is to be characterized by that. Now, it would be uh, a foolish thing for me to have such a fancy prayerology, the study of prayer, without actually providing you a working definition of prayer, wouldn't it? So I, uh, a few years back, read the book Prayer by Tim Keller. I strongly commend it to you. We're going to utilize his definition. He said, prayer is the personal communicative responses to the knowledge of God. Prayer is the personal communicative responses to the knowledge of God. Prayer is first personal, meaning it's between you as a person with your personality and the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's communicative, meaning it's spoken using language. Sometimes that's verbal language. Sometimes that's physical body language. That wasn't me flying. That was like pretending I was bowing, but I didn't want to go all the way low and commit. Personal communicative response. Prayer is always responsive, meaning it's always reacting to those things that we know about God. Always. We don't pray according to our own wills or our own understandings of God. We pray according to the truth about God revealed in His Word. In other words, as God reveals, as He helps us to understand what He's like, who He is, what His nature is, His will, and His mission, we respond back with communicative response in dialogue with Him. That's prayer. In other words, this is designed to show just how critical prayer is in the life of a local church and in the life of the big C global church because God says that his house is to be characterized by prayer. It's to be characterized by the personal, communicative response to knowing God. And this might be a a Sunday school question for some of you. This may be a paradigm-shifting, world-changing question and answer for others of you. 
What is God's house now? If you say this building, you're wrong. This stage is not the Holy of Holies. In fact, we call this an altar, but we don't make sacrifices on it unless we come and we pray and we talk to the Lord. I don't see any blood on that. This is, this is not the house of God. It's you. You are where God has decided to reside. If you are in Christ, if you have received the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, you are now the house of the living God. If you think I'm wrong, just take it up with Paul. Don't take it up with me. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Those of us under the new covenant in his blood, we are now the dwelling places of God. We are now his house here on earth now. And and what does that mean then? If his house is to be characterized by prayer, what does that mean that we ought to be characterized by? Prayer. Keep in mind, the two main purposes of the temple were, what were the two? Atonement and access. Atonement and access. That's what the purpose of the temple was. Well, guess what? Hebrews 9.12 says that Jesus took care once and for all the atonement part by means of his own blood that he offered out. So atonement is no longer something that we have to make. We just receive his. So that took care of that part. And that's the very reason why that we pray in the name of Jesus because we understand that anything that we get in our relationship with God is all because of Christ. Everything we ask for and anything that he decides to give in response is because of the blood of Christ. So if atonement has been taken care of, then what's left? Access. If wherever God dwells is designed to be an access point to God, And if God says that access point is to be characterized by prayer, then simply put, prayer is seeking and finding witness with God. Because now we're just, we get access because of the atonement that Christ has provided. Prayer is how we engage in witness with God. If we want God more, we enter into prayer. We don't have to go travel somewhere. We don't have to go make a sacrifice on something. We simply just go to God in prayer, and He will reward us with Himself. That's the very thing that the prophetess Anna got, right? In Luke 2, uh, when Jesus was just a little after He was born, the, this, this widow for 80-something years is at the temple, and it says that she is just simply fasting and praying. And what does her fasting and praying get rewarded with? Jesus. She gets to see him. She gets to see God in the flesh. And her prayer and fasting was getting to have God. You can even say that uh, Charles Spurgeon he said that, that we come near to God in prayer. Even the very word that we use, even the term that we use for prayer is, let us draw near to God. It's spatial language. And, and, and what's most amazing is that God doesn't simply, he doesn't have a temple over in, 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 in Jerusalem. He doesn't have a tent of meeting over in the wilderness of Jordan, right? You don't have to go over there to get him. We can be right here, right now, accessing God because of Christ's atonement through prayer. So if you want to experience closeness with God, if you want intimacy with God, 
It's not going to be found in your obedience. It's not going to be found in your muscling up to be better. It's simply going to be found in the arena of prayer. Now, I want to do what I can to to prove this in three ways, hopefully from God's word, in a way that, well, definitely from God's word, in a hopefully way that persuades you of the vitality of prayer in your warmthness and enjoying God. So here's the first proof that I want to offer to you. First is that there's joy in nearness. Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It's in God's presence. So if joy is found in God's presence, and if prayer is seeking and finding God's presence or witness with God, then prayer is how you find joy. That's why God promises in verse 7, He says, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. So then that must mean that our joy has a direct connection to our prayer life. And I don't think I have to do, long, do much work to persuade you of the connection between the two. And I can testify personally for the last 19 years that I've been following Jesus that my experience has been in those seasons where my prayer life is anemic. I question where my joy went. Things change about me in the negative. But it's in the environment of prayer where we are enjoying witness with God. It's in His IHOP. Not because He serves us pancakes. It's in His international house of prayer because that's where He is. And that's what you are. He makes us joyful through prayer. Here's a second kind of proof that I want to offer to you. And it's about faith's chief expression. Paul says that we as Christians are, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. Meaning faith that isn't just a, it's not just a one-time event that happens at the beginning of your journey with Christ. It actually characterizes your whole life as a believer. And so because the whole life of the Christian is is living by faith in God. With that in mind, John Calvin described the relationship between faith and prayer this way. He said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. This is one of the key ways that we live a life of faith in God. Prayerfulness is simply a manifestation of our humility before God and our dependency upon Him. Guys, What do you think prayerlessness is symptomatic of? Pride. A a smug self-sufficiency. An arrogance about ourselves that that we, ah, I can do this thing on my own. I don't need God. Prayerfulness proves that you understand the most treasured blessing that Jesus won for us. Prayerfulness shows that you have truly grasped that Jesus has reconciled us back to the Father through His blood so that we now get free, unhindered access to God by faith alone in Christ. And prayer expresses our desperate need of Him. So if, if, if we're going to get to the epitome of our faith and exercising it, it's going to be prayer. Then there's this third proof. And I think it might take a, a tiny bit longer to explain, but I'll, 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 you'll see how it lands. And this just comes from experience. That withness, that experience of closeness and intimacy with someone else, isn't just known, but it's felt. It's not just a known fact, but it's a felt fact. So like being near the Lord's presence, being near Him, drawing near to Him, it's not determined by a physical space anymore. It is determined by the inner relationship and intimate fellowship that we have with Him in our inner being. So for, let me kind of explain an example with an example. Let's say you hop on the local bus and uh, you're making your way back and you uh, find this 
man and this woman sitting right there, and you just decide to kind of sit in front of them, and you want to strike up a nice little conversation with them. And you, uh, you, you notice that they're sitting with one another. They're spatially really close to one another, right? They're sitting like six inches apart. I hope they have good breath. They're so close to one another, so you can make the natural assumption. So you turn around and you start to strike up a conversation. Hey, are you all two with one another? Are you with one another? And they kind of look at each other like, who's this stranger next to me? No, I have no clue who that is. They're with one another, aren't they? But are they with one another? No, they're not. You can be physically close to someone and feel miles away from them. It's why you can be lying next to your spouse in bed at night or driving in the car next to them for hours and be six inches away from them and feel miles apart from them. It's the same dynamic with God. Like, like you, can, you can build an, an intellectually known theological proof that you get to be near God. You can know that, that that's the greatest gift of God, that, that Christ won for us in, 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 on the cross. You can spend hours reading uh, God's Word. You can study massive textbooks on doctrine and Christian living. And you can believe wholeheartedly that God's presence is with you. And yet you can still feel thousands of miles away from God. And that's because reading and studying about God wasn't designed to stop at just mere knowledge about God. The Bible actually says that that kind of knowledge puffs us up. But prayer, on the other hand, is designed to engage your whole person. In fact, the Bible encourages us that prayer is supposed to engage our emotions. It's supposed to actually involve how we feel about things, which is why Isaiah 29 tells us that we're not to come and honor God with our lips when our hearts are far from Him. Prayer is supposed to be emotive. And all the men just sighed. Emotions. Jeez. But what about the truth? Right? Truth is primary, duh, right? Like, like uh, we have to have truth about knowing God in order for us to pray. We have to, in order for us to have any kind of communicative response to what we know about God. But if all we do is intake truth with no prayerful expression or response to that truth, what can happen is you just become spiritually obese, overweight, spiritually, and you're unstirred in any kind of affection. Nothing is working out within you. Guys, everything that we learn about God is designed to lead us into experiencing God. The truth about God is supposed to lead our affections to God. And that's why God promises to be close to those who call upon Him in truth, like Luke read earlier. Those who seek Him with their whole heart. We are to pray according to the truth about God that's revealed in this word of His, and we're to seek Him with all of our affections because we are now the new house of prayer. That's because prayer ultimately is seeking and finding withness with God. That might be a, a worn out word now for some of you withness. Good luck saying it. But can you. I, I, maybe, maybe here's another way to, to describe this. Maybe this explains something. Prayer, if prayer is that, that exercise in which we get to draw near to God, enjoy His presence, maybe that might explain for you why praying with other people is such a hard thing for you. Because that's, that's your intimacy with God. That's, that's your closeness to Him. And it's, it's really hard to let people in on that sometimes, isn't it? Because I, I can tell you that for the first several years of my marriage, I refused to pray with my wife. Because... I was, in some ways, 
ashamed of my level of intimacy with God compared to her level of intimacy with God. And so I, I, I would refuse. I wouldn't pray with her. It felt hard because it was letting her in on my intimacy with God, my withness with God. And so, so, so maybe, maybe that's why our overflow prayer gatherings are the least participated in event in our church. Maybe it's just hard for you to pray with other people because, because that's bringing them in on your nearness to God. And maybe you don't feel like your nearness to God, your withness with God, is where it ought to be. So when you pray, you actually pray less aware of God's presence and more aware of everyone else's presence. And so you kind of use your prayers in a way to gain their attention and approval more than God's. So you, you like... I'm not going to go there. Maybe you just simply believe that your relationship with God is supposed to be private. And if that's your conviction, then there will be no one else following you to the throne because you won't tell them about your relationship with God. I wish I could say more, but I, I, I want to wrap up with something that I, I hopefully takes all of this and, 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 and brings it into a helpful package for you, because um, I'm guessing some of you might be thinking, like, you, you agree, it makes sense, prayer is that drawing near to God. If, if, if we're wanting to be close to Him, have witness with Him, prayer's that avenue, you might be thinking, well, Scotty boy, I pray a lot. And I still feel far from God. What about that? Well, there's a few, few things that I would, um, I would ask you about, and, and most of them happen to be about your own prayer life. Are your prayers more concerned about making sure God is with you as you go out into the world? Or are your prayers more about you longing to be with God? God's not just some like hovering kind of support aid drone that helps you in every circumstance that you need. All right, God, are you with me? Okay, you're, you're good. Like we want that, don't get me wrong, but if your prayers seem to be more making sure God's going to go with you into life rather than you just wanting God, that might be part of it. Another part of this, uh, uh, honestly, actually kind of pokes at a bear um, so it, it might bite me later, but can I poke a bear real quick? Um, so you say that you, you pray and you still feel far from God. And again, I'm going to ask you about your prayer life. Does the sum of your prayer life look more like a grocery list of requests for healing for uh, All right, here we go. For healing for your great uncle's twice removed niece's best friend's son to heal from his procedure to remove a mole on his back? Now, some of you heard that we don't pray for healing here in that. I'm not saying that at all. We, we want to be praying for healing. Obviously, we want to be praying for all of those things that concern your heart, all of those things that you're worried about. We want to intercede on behalf of them. But I will tell you, most of the prayer requests that we get for our prayer partners to intercede for are about healings or for illnesses or or recoveries from procedures. And don't get me wrong, we want to pray for those things, but that is the only category that our prayer partners seem to be praying for. Did you know that out of all the 150 Psalms in the Bible, do you know how many of them deal with healing sickness? Just two. Psalm 38 and Psalm 41. Yes, prayer is asking for healing for those who are sick. It's asking for the urgent preserving of life in medical crisis. And I want us to be on our knees asking for those things. But I will tell you, if that is all your prayer life is, if that's the only thing you go to God about, then you're missing out on 
everything that God wants to be with you in. Right? Prayer ought to be praise. It ought to be thanksgiving. It ought to be confession. It ought, there definitely should be some remorse and lamenting. There should be some asking, some supplicating. There should be some yielding and surrendering. There are so many dynamics to prayer. That's why Psalm 62, the author tells us, trust in him at all times, people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. It's the safest place to go with everything going on in your heart. Not just your anxious concerns about someone's health and the preservation of their life. Go to him for those things and go to him for your broken marriage. Go to him for your grumpy boss. Go to him for your financial needs. Go to him with your guilt and shame. He wants all of it. And that's how you experience witness with God when you pour out all of your heart before him and say, God, here it is. Just deal with it. Francis Finelin said this, and I'm going to close with this. Tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains, to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, uh, sorry, lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insecure, how pride disguises you to yourself and others. If you thus pour out all your weakness, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. <laughs> you will never exhaust the subject because it is continually being renewed. So I want to ask you this week, for the good of your joy in God, and your experiencing those new things that God wants you to enjoy with Him and in Him, will you pour out your heart before God this week? Will you pray to draw near? Will you live life with God so that you can live life for God? If you want God and you are in Christ, this is it. It's prayer. It's getting on your knees before you go to bed, recalling the day to God, processing through every joy and every pain, knowing that he's not far from you, but he's near. It's rising in the morning, enjoying a good cup of coffee, seeing the sunrise, and calling out to him in praise and thanking him for a good night of rest, providing you those needs that you have for the day, everything that is anxiously on your heart that you know is coming up, that tough meeting, that hard conversation. He wants to be with you in all of it. And prayer, prayer is how you invite him in. It's enjoying withness. So with that, I want to pray over you, and then I want to talk about week two of our season of hunger and fasting, of hungering for God. So let me, let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for your Son, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you 
have granted to dwell in those who call on the name of Jesus. That we now get access to you because of Christ. Through the empowering, ever-presence, forever-present Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would guard from a performance-based understanding of, of prayer. Because we know prayer is not a work. It might be a means of grace, it might be a discipline, but it's not a work. Praying in and of itself doesn't earn your favor. God, I pray that you would convince us of prayer's place in our relationship with you. How it's seeking and finding nearness. It's seeking and finding withness. God, I pray, convince us and, and shape our prayer lives. God, for those of us who have only um, thought that we, should, we can only pray for other people, God, I, I've, I've come across so many people who have said that they don't ever pray for themselves. It feels selfish. God, that's just the epitome of pride. We desperately, individually need you. And so I pray, God, that you would convince us of the, the access that we have to you through the Holy Spirit and how prayers are asking things of you and that we would pray for ourselves and pray for one another and that we would pray for the lost, that we would pray for the nations, that we would pray for our leaders, that we would pray for our, our government, that we would pray for uh, our cities and our neighbors and, 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 our, and our bosses and our children and our spouses. God, I pray that, that, that every subject that concerns our lives would be a subject of prayer in our hearts before you as we bring our hearts to you and pour them out before you, inviting you in. And I, I believe that you will hold true to your promise. Not because I believe it, but because Christ purchased the promise and he's the yes and the amen. That when we seek you in prayer, we will find you. God, I pray for fresh revelation this week. I pray for newer insights. I pray for a deeper love for you, an all-consuming passion for you, a greater hunger for you that cannot be quenched by the world's trivialities, that you would be our chief longing. And for those here today who have wasted their lives away on longing for the world's treasures and are hearing about how good life with you is, I pray that today would be the day that they surrender, that they come under the banner of Christ, be washed in his blood, and gain access to the God who made them. We love you. Bless this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to remind you of a few things. I want to encourage you to keep drawing near to the Lord in prayer this week, week two. Um, and, and I want to encourage you that if you want to add like a big, bold exclamation point at the end of your prayer, supplement your prayer with fasting. I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't know what fasting is or how to do things, there's some instructions on the bulletin insert that you got this morning. There's also last week's message that might prove helpful for you in your understanding of it. Um, so I encourage you to go tune in on YouTube for that on our live stream from last Sunday service. There are several prayer guides available for those of you who uh, want to join and partner in in prayer. So this, this in your bulletin is the second week of our guided prayer times together that we are sharing the same prayer that we go to God before, uh, before God each day. Um, and that starts tomorrow, Monday, January 15th. We'll start praying for things. And so the category of prayer that we're praying through is the second part of our mission, our love for people. Last week it was love for God, now it's love for people. Now, if you didn't get last week's prayer guide, uh, Love God, it is also on that info kiosk out there. And finally, if some of you just don't feel very uh, knowledgeable in how to pray, uh, this is a resource that's out there as well. It's called Strategic Prayer. It's a guide that I just put together that breaks down a prayer time into 
Pray, P-R-A-Y. Praise, regret, asking, and yielding. And if you, uh, if you want to know what those are involved, if you want scriptures to help guide you on that, there's all sorts of helpful resources in that. That is on that information kiosk out there as well. And then finally, this is just a, if you really want to dive deep, this is just another kind of guided prayer time uh, for, that all of our new members get in their membership class, different prayers for each day that they pray throughout the week. So I would encourage that of you as well. Don't forget that tomorrow night is Overflow Prayer Night. If you can't commit to attending permanently or perpetually, maybe you need to commit to attending just these three weeks. So we had last week's prayer time, and it was cool to see uh, what God is doing among us in there. And then this tomorrow night at 6.30 down in the conference room, uh, Dale and Wanda and Caitlin will be there. Uh, would love for you to, to join with them. So let's, let's hunger for God this week, church. Let's not relent. I know some of you are hungry. I've heard bellies growling this morning. So continue to seek after the Lord. Check your hearts. Check your motives. Continue to say that you're not doing it for the appearance sake. You're not doing it to get other people's uh, 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 attention or or their approval. It's only before the Lord. Now, uh, real quick, uh, you heard... Shelly's announcement, those of you who want to serve with Warm, you can meet over here. We also have some trainings that are happening right now. Uh, for our, we are upgrading our, or not technically downgrading, our system over to Breeze. Uh, we are leaving Planning Center. We're transitioning to Breeze. For our volunteers on our, on our worship team, on our media team, for those of you who serve in our kids' rooms, uh, you're going to be with Luke and Ethan down in the conference room uh, right after this, just for a few minutes. They're going to show you how to navigate Breeze for you. For those of you who don't have volunteer roles and you just kind of are curious about how to use Breeze and how to access online giving, your giving statements, how to access people's profiles, maybe a directory, uh, uh, you're going to be in here. Uh, Jen's going to be leading that um, right after the service. So if you all would please stand. Uh, I want to dismiss you with a prayer of benediction. If you guys need prayer for any way, if you need encouragement, I'd love to pray with you up here. If you can hang out for a little bit and have some refreshments, they should out be in the lobby out in the cafe area. We'd love for you to hang around and get to know one another well. Enjoy witness with the church, y'all. I want to pray from Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. In light of everything that we've been praying for this past week as today closes, love God. Ephesians 3. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a blessed week.